0: If you have a Bible, take your Bibles out and open up to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. We'll be in Exodus 20 briefly because there's only, uh, in the Hebrew, only two words. In our English text only four words. And We'll be around other verses in the Bible just to get an understanding of what that means today. It's about we look, look into God's Word. Well, Lord, we invite your Spirit to do the work that only it can do. The ability to illuminate the word of God in our hearts and our minds, give us understanding to your truth, that speaks to us where our walk with you is on this day. Oh Lord, is there something distracting us that can be set aside? Something that requires our attention that somehow it's just set aside, but somehow your spirit just calms our hearts, calms our minds, and speaks to us. For some, there's a need for great encouragement, Lord. That somehow you strengthen them in the trials they're going through. That they hear that they're doing well. They just have that assurance from you that all is well. Father's going through really difficult times, Lord. Take your word and comfort them as only you can do. And if one stepped away, that there's a way you correct them to do that as well. But somehow, Lord, your Spirit illuminates the heart, the word into our hearts and our lives, in order we can become the men and women of God that you want us to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, there's a story told that um, when Susie uh, died and passed away, she made it up to heaven, and she got to the pearly gates, and Peter met her there. So she's talking to Peter, and she said, "Peter, I want to come in." And Peter said, "Well, there's only one thing you have to do to get into the pearly gates. So well, what's that?" Peter says, "You have to spell one word." Her eyes lit up and said, well, okay, what word is that? He said, can you spell the word love? So Susie thought for a second and said, well, L-O-V-E. He said, well, welcome into heaven and through the pearly gates. And boy, she was so excited to get there. About three or four days later, uh, she's there standing. She's talking with Peter, and Peter had something to do. And he said, well, Susie, would you mind just staying at the gate and just helping other people who come to the pearly gates? I said, sure, I can do that. And she looks down the long corridor there, and she sees somebody come. And you know how when you recognize somebody, just by the way they walk? She thought it looked like her husband. So said, well, that couldn't be. And gets a little bit closer. Gee, it sure looks like him. And gets, also, it's Bob, her husband. And Bob's standing there, and Sue's like, Bob, what happened? He says, well, on the way home from your funeral, he says, I was in a car accident, and I died. And he says, so I'm here, and I want to come to the pearly gates. Well, it's real simple, Bob. You only have to spell one word. Really? Just one word? Said, just one word, Bob. Spell the one word and you can come on into heaven. He said, okay, what's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> uh, we all chuckle at that, don't we? We think that's so funny. But uh, she's finally getting at him, isn't she? There's almost a sense that, even humorously, there's a little anger in her heart, doesn't it, seem like She's just out to get him. It may seem odd for me to talk about anger, because that's not what the command is about. The sixth commandment is, "Do not murder." But it's interesting that somehow anger. anger is connected with murder. What we want to look at first is this commandment, "Do not murder." If you look at your text, it's pretty simple here: "You shall not murder." In Hebrew it's just two words: "No murder." Don't murder. I mean, it's just that clear and all. But all of a sudden, it's interesting how this word is used. When we talked about honoring your parents, you may recall we identified it's a really pregnant word. It's a word that goes always from obeying all the way to caring. It's just this big, broad word that we have. This word's entirely different. This is a word that comes down and gets very specific. to understand it's really this it's exactly what we're talking about it's very precise why because there's a whole variety of ways that life can be taken we have this word here that comes when Moses records you one time I'm talking about this when I say do not murder why because there's other ways that we can take life so for example let's look at one here turn to Genesis 9 verse 6 Genesis 9, verse 6. Now this occurs right after the flood. All you have on the earth now is Noah and his family. There's no one else. They're sort of starting life over together on this universe. And on this world we live in. And as they do, God's given them some very specific words. He says this in Genesis 9, verse 6. As they start their new world... And this becomes important as we start about the nation of Israel, starting a new nation, be given very specific laws on how to live in this nation. In this nation, we, you need to understand, you, there's no murder that should occur, but you need to understand what I mean by that when God speaks. So here's what we read. Genesis 9:6, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by a man, shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. He says this. If for some reason this person here murders this person here, it's okay for you to take this person's life. That's called capital punishment. It's the idea that life is so valued that if this person here murders this person here or takes this person here's life because of the image of God in this person, then you're to take this person's life. Now understand the value of life here this whole idea of murder plays out, understanding about humanity. Each one of us is creating the image of God. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin, our race, our ethnicity. No matter what country you're from, no matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter how you take a person, if you take a person's life He's saying, the important thing to understand, they're created in the image of God. Each and every one of us in this room is created in the image of God. And everyone out there in the world is created in the image of God. And he says, therefore, as a nation, uh, in judgment, if somebody goes and murders this person, you need to understand that a country, a nation, can have capital punishment. That's different than murder. There's a second one to understand, not just capital punishment. Turn with me to Exodus 17. Now, this Genesis passage has already occurred before the Israelites are even on the earth. So all of a sudden, they're talking about history, where it's already been demonstrated. The second incident that we have here in Exodus 17, they've already lived through to see there's another way of taking life occurred. And that's during warfare. Here's what we read, Exodus 17, verses 8 and 9. Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephadim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So he's telling him, Go get a group of men, go fight the enemy. And here's what he finishes up with: drop down to verse 13 in your text there. And Joshua overwhelmed the Amalek and his people with the sword. That tells me all of a sudden when God looks at all of a sudden taking another person's life there's this option or thing that comes about at times we start thinking of war. That during war when warfare occurs and enemies fight and life is taken that is not the same as murder. It somehow distinguishes something different than what he's us to understand when it says do not murder. So we have capital punishment we got the idea of warfare takes place. There's a third one we find out that takes place. And we look at Exodus 22.2. Two. Turn to Exodus 22.2. Two. And this one deals with self-defense. Exodus 22.2. Two. So it's going to be something that comes down off the mount with Moses. He's taking, we've got the Ten Commandments. He's going to be bringing the law down to them. This will be in that. It says this. If a thief is found breaking in... And the structure that he dies, there should be no blood guilt for him. So all of a sudden, it's identified, look, if you're in your home, and while you're living in your home, this thief comes in, and he breaks into your home, and as a result of him breaking your home, he dies because of that, you are not held guilty of his blood, So the scriptures are saying, okay, we talk about murder. We're not talking about when there's self-defense. When somebody's coming to take your life, somehow they're in your home or doing something, and somehow they die in that. We're not talking about that event either. So he's reducing it down, saying, listen, it doesn't mean capital punishment. He's reduced it down. It doesn't mean you're in war and those lives are taken. That's, That's what he's talking about here. He's not even talking about somebody comes into your home and you may kill him in the process or he dies. We're not talking about that either. That's not murder. There's one more. Turn to Numbers 35. He's going to give us one more incident. Gives several descriptions of this. He's going to talk when there's accidental death. Numbers 35, verses 22 to 25. We read this. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity, or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, Or used a stone that could cause death, without seeing him, dropped it on him, so that he died. though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with the rules. The manslayer is the one who accidentally killed the person. The avenger may be the family who's angry that his life was taken. He goes on to say, and the congregation will uh, judge between the two, and the congregation will restore him to the city of refuge to which he had fled. He shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. So it's the idea, there's a place of safety for you. But he's understanding, he said, listen, there's going to be accidental death. You're going to be doing some job or something, and the job, somehow a stone is, is used or, or misplaced or something drops and it kills somebody. You're not held liable for that. that that's not murder. So he said, there's accidental death. And we've all heard of accidental death. So he's reducing, he says, listen, we're talking about capital punishment. That's not murder. If you're in war, that's not murder. If you find self-defense, that's not murder. If we come down now and we talk even accidental death that you're involved in, that's not murder either. So he's getting to reduce down. There's one final thing to understand what it is. It's this piece that you do, and one commentator described it this way. His definition was, it's when you improperly put somebody to death for selfish reasons. By improper, it's like, look, here's four ways you could somebody's life could be taken. Those are proper in understanding God's economy of how death and murder work. Those aren't murder. But if you, without those four in place, if you take somebody's life and your motivation is not accidental. It, motivation is really selfish reasons. That's murder. What often happens at those times when you think of selfish reasons, it's where all of a sudden you may do premeditated murder. Uh, this is where you actually plan it out. And you take the time to put it together, work the details out, this is what's going to happen, premeditated murder. This is what we talk about Cain and Abel. Can actually takes him out into the field, and that's where he murders him. But there's also murder that takes place, which is more reactionary. And it's not out of revenge. It's reactionary. Somehow there's something that takes place currently, and in the process, you kill the other person. But out of selfish reasons, some motivation you have, and that other person's life is taken quickly, and that's murder. And so we look at the Old Testament, they're setting up laws for the Old Testament, the way the nation is to function, to know that somehow if you're involved in somebody's death and you came before the judges there in the congregation and they were to evaluate if you committed murder, they would start going through the different options of how you could take a man's life or a woman's life and determine is it murder or one of those other ones. If it's one of these... It's not murder. But if out of the improper ways, for selfish reasons you take a person's life, that is murder. Now we think of us as New Testament believers. I think most of us in this room would sit around and say, we're not murderers. And we're not planning to murder anybody. This doesn't seem to play out directly on us, except for our country should know there should not be murderers that are allowed to murder. Until... We hear Jesus talk. And when Jesus talks, he takes this very command and explains it a little deeper. So he takes it and he says, if it means do not murder, he now wants to sort of drill down for us to understand, here's the root of murder. Here's where it starts. And here's what it looks like before it ever gets to this. So for us to understand, if this is the root of of, uh, murder here, and i have this it's what leads up here to murder but there's some things i can do in here that are likened to murder in relationships with other people even though i've never taken their life so turn to matthew 5 with me where jesus starts to discuss this matthew chapter 5 verses 21 and 22 He says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. But whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable. And all of a sudden Jesus connects murder with anger. He says for what you're liable here in judgment for murder If you're angry, you're liable too for judgment. How does Jesus connect anger? Why does he connect this anger with murder here? I think it's partly because Jesus, keep in mind, is the word of God. He's aware of all the scriptures. He's the one who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he also remembers Cain and Abel. So I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 4. I think he's drawing upon the very first murder. And his discussion, God's discussion with Cain about murder. He gives us insight at the time of creation, right after the fall, when you get Cain and Abel on the scene. Genesis chapter 4, and verses eight 4 to 8. Here's what we read. So, Cain and Abel both made offerings to God. And God says this, and the Lord had regard for Abel's and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his face fell. So he's made an offering to God, it was not acceptable to God. What happened? Cain became angry. Angry with God, angry with his brother, just angry. And his face fell. You could see he was angry. What takes place? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother, spoke to Abel his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So understand the scene that's taking place. God has this conversation with him. He he says, "I, I don't accept your offering. So he becomes angry with God and apparently with his brother. God looks down and says, why are you angry? Look, you can bring an offering in. I'll accept it. There's forgiveness. There's offerings you can give me. But if you're not going to do that, pay attention to the anger in your heart. You know what anger's like? It's sin, and sin is crouching. Get this picture. This animal, it's like a lion ready to pounce. It's ready to pounce on you. It will take you over. This anger that's bubbling in your heart is going to pounce on you. If you don't pay attention, it's crouching and ready to go. And he doesn't deal with it. So what's he do? He actually premeditates his brother's murder. He invites his brother out into the field. I'm not sure what he told him. I'm not sure how he got him out there, but he just invites like just a, a regular day of life. Gets him out into the field away from his mother and dad. Adam and Eve are not around. And then he kills his brother. And Jesus goes all the way back to here and say, listen, when I talked to Cain about that first murder, I didn't talk about the murder. I talked to him about the anger. The anger in his heart. And that heart anger is what rose up and killed his brother. Jesus wants us to step back and realize the reality of murder. It doesn't start with murder, it starts with our hearts and anger that's in our heart. You know how anger works. It starts off as that, uh, just sort of that little frustration we have, Uh, that little disappointment that occurs, something that just didn't go our way. It's the noise they make when they eat, those little irritations of life, and they just get in our heart, and it starts growing and bubbling and working away. It becomes anger. And Jesus says, that anger, that anger, that's the root. That is the root of murder. He goes all the way not to murder. He goes, listen, we need to pay attention to our hearts and what's in our heart. Uh, Take note here. Jesus identifies three aspects of of murder. Take note first. There's the um, action of murder. There's that work that we do with it. But there's action that takes place. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to He doesn't discount that. He says murder is murder. When you've got angry actions, you'll end up with murder. That's what the Old Testament taught. But he wants to go a little deeper. He wants to tell us that when we have angry hearts, that's also murder. That's what he says. Take note here in verse uh, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Same judgment, he says, as you have for the one who murders. So when Jesus starts looking at anger or murder, he's not looking at just our outward angry actions. Jesus is looking all the way down into our hearts. He's looking down way in our hearts and saying, what's in our hearts? What's in our hearts? Is where murder begins, and we can have angry hearts. Those thoughts, those ideas, those emotions, those feelings, all that harbor in our hearts and just find themselves sort of percolating in our hearts, somehow just, just residing in our heart. And it's just at work in our heart. and we know it's there. let be careful. There's angry actions, there's angry hearts, but there's a third one. There's angry words. Notice what else he says in verse 22. He adds this. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be guilty. He says we also have angry words that come out of our mouth. He's saying we sort of, to understand this so strongly, we assassinate people with our words that we say. The words that we call them. The words that we speak with. He says, pay attention. When you start talking about murder, do not think it's just this outward action of the Old Testament of a nation. When we start talking about the life of believers in the church, we start about relationships with one another, we need to pay attention to where murder ends up. It starts in the heart with anger. And that anger, that anger bubbles up and comes out. This is an illustration that the Paul Tripp uses, he talks about the idea if you have a can of Coke, and then you shake a can of Coke up, and if you shake it really well, and you really get it going, okay, do I have a volunteer here? If you open that up, what's going to come out? Coke, you know what, we think Coke's going to come out because we shake it up, that's not true. If I take this one and don't shake it up, you know what comes out of it? Coke. You know why Coke comes out of a Coke can? Because Coke's in the can, not because you shake it up. You know why anger comes out of us? Not because we shake it up. Not because of trials we go through. Not because of the people we're with. Not because of the circumstances we're in. Anger comes out because anger's in our heart. And we need to understand that's true. We need to understand what anger looks like in our heart. Because we all deal with it differently. Some of you are verbal bashers. That's not a good thing. Use words. Use words to bash people. It may not even be your family and friends. It may be the people out there you bash. But somehow the words out of your mouth are regularly bashing people. And how unfortunate times the parents who bash their own kids with words like stupid and idiot and moron and name-calling that crushes the hearts of kids. Somehow we're always able to remember the bad things said to us. We rarely remember the good things said to us. But we remember names that we were called Names that hurt and wounded and verbal bashing that goes on and the wounds that occur. We have those who do the verbal bashing. We have those who come along and they do the nonverbal bashing. They do it with gestures. They point. You've gotten... Gestures from other car drivers at times that I won't demonstrate. To know they're angry with you. But there's a gesturing that we may do, the nonverbal things we may say. All that goes on when you start pounding a clenched fist in your hand and you're demonstrating something's going on. There's the facial features. Did you notice what the Lord said to Cain? Cain. Your face has changed. There's gestures we have. We look angry. And you know there's times when somebody's angry. You know when you start stepping back a little bit because of the actions that they're taking and all. Oh, and all of a sudden, those facial ones, all of a sudden it's how they look angry, not smiling, and that stare at you. But then you've got the person who closes in the social distance. And also, make sure they're looking down on you with the power that they have to know that you're in trouble with the anger that they're experiencing. They want you to know they're angry without saying a word. And those who find themselves saying, Well, I never get angry. I really control it so well until we check your blood pressure, your ulcers physical things you're going through saying you're not angry but you really are angry and you need to deal with that anger because you're suffering physically from it or you find a sympathetic listener who somehow you get to complain and gossip about other people with your words of what you say the gossip that comes out the complaining of people you give because you're angry And the words come out. And then those of you who are physical, you get angry, you start pounding walls. You start kicking things. You start throwing things. And you actually hit people. That's anger. Anger in your heart. And Jesus is saying, you want to see where murder comes from? You want to know where selfish ambition, selfish reasons drive people to murder? It is anger in your heart. You're not angry because you get shaken up. You're angry because there's anger in your heart. And you're saying, listen, that's where murder starts. That's where the issue arises. That's how murder occurs. But for us in the body of Christ, living in the new covenant, he doesn't want us to just be concerned about the murdering of people. He wants us to be concerned about our hearts of anger and what we need to do with that heart. We're people who murder with our tongues and our words. We're people who murder with our hearts. We're people who murder with our actions. And Jesus is saying, listen when he says do not murder it's do not murder with our actions it's do not murder with our words it's do not murder with our hearts of what we have And we come to Christ there's a, there's a transformation we're transferred from the domain of darkness in the kingdom of God's dear son we're called new creatures in Christ old things have passed away those old patterns we have, those ways of dealing with anger, there's a new way as a new creature in Christ. We're transformed. We're transferred. We're new creatures with new hearts that anger no longer percolates, but that we love one another. But yet somehow we're still able to drift over, go back to this flesh, this selfish, selfish reasons that anger still can brew percolate thrive in our hearts and Jesus is saying if you've got anger in your heart you've got the foundation and the working of murder he says do not murder do not murder with our actions Uh, do not murder with our words, do not murder with our hearts. Let's close in prayer. Our Lord, anger is real, and everyone of us here has experienced it, and some are even dealing with it now. Lord, you call us to be your people, you call us not to murder, but to think. Oh, Lord, the anger that resides in our hearts at times that we need to bring to you. Oh, the words that we've said that are angry, Lord. God, God, protect our mouths from the wounding that we do with our words. And God, let us be people that do not murder with our actions. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. It's interesting the Matthew passage that Jesus has. uh, He goes on and he says this. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, it's interesting when we start thinking of that, that we celebrate the communion each week. Although we don't have a table here of it. You've got cups by your chairs. But the whole idea is to remember that there's this table of communion we have. It's a place of sacrifice, of Christ's death on the cross. It's a place that we remember that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day. By our faith alone in him, we have eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And we celebrate that every week. We're also told in Romans 12 that, you know, therefore, by the mercies of God, that we are those people who have been uh, come to Christ, that we are now living sacrifices. Somebody said the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the table, and communion's sort of place of getting back on the table. And in particular today, talking about anger, it's really come to the table having your hearts examined, about any anger that you're dealing with, whether it's just percolating in your heart, or if it's a pattern of your words, or if it's some action that you've taken, it's a time of confession. Make sure you understand, too, if you've demonstrated anger in some way, some way to somebody. And they know you've done it. It tells you make sure you reconcile for it. In fact, that seems to be the, the solution. We deal with anger. No, we have anger. It's go talk to the person. And be reconciled to that brother, that sister, that spouse, that child, that friend, that neighbor, that coworker, whatever. Be reconciled. Be reconciled means you deal... With the anger, so there were people who known that we love one another, and we're not angry with one another. We live in an angry culture right now, a very angry culture. You can read it regularly, and it permeates into our hearts, and we start thinking it's OK. And Jesus is saying, it's not okay. It is not okay. It is not okay to be angry. So it's a time of confession. Silence. Whatever you need before the Lord. As we come to the Lord's table. We invite you, if you know Christ as your Savior, to participate. If you're a visitor, not a member here, we welcome you to join us. But if you don't know Christ, we ask you not to. Why? Because when you hold that bread and that cup up, you're making a proclamation. You're telling everybody around you, you're a follower of Christ. He died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and you trust him as your personal savior. You could be on that journey right now. We we understand that. We want you to be on that journey. Uh, You're not there yet. That is just fine. Therefore, don't participate with us. So we're going to go to a time of silence. Your heart before the Lord to examine it and prepare us for a time of communion. Okay, let's go to prayer.